You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining us, as always, from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's Ben Folks. Uh, ben, you are at this point living the harried, deadline-filled life of a, an old-timey newspaper reporter, as uh, you're about uh, half an hour late today to record this. Less than half this. hour. 26 minutes. 26 minutes late today to uh, record this episode of the co-main event podcast because you had to get some stuff done for the uh, for the newspaper. You had to get your story uh, filed and typeset before the press automatically turned on and started uh, started printing out issues of USA Today. Is that right? You having a good time? Are you having I'm, fun with I'm, this? I'm just saying it's kind of a role reversal. No, you know, hey, I wish we could all live just the uh, the unhurried, casual existence of your your Bleacher Report writer. Just sitting around here eating Turkish delights, uh, playing with the cat. You know, maybe maybe we'll put together a slideshow if we feel like it. That, no, that seems nice. I wish we could all do that, Chad, but we can't. Some of us actually have to do some shit. It's a tough road to hoe over there, I know, when you're, you're working in a different century. <laughs> no, hey, you know, guys, guy shows up 26 minutes late. We want to make a big deal out of it. That's cool. Once you and the CME podcast listeners put together a uh, a a benefits package to lure me away from USA Today, then we can talk. We're then, right there. We're on the verge of it as we speak. That's good to hear. Well, in any case, we got to get this done in about an hour and fifteen minutes before I got to go pick up my kid. So, if the co-main event podcast just shuts off midway through and you get nothing but silence the rest of the way, I guess you can address your letters of complaint to uh, Gannett. The Gannett News Service? Is that, yep. is that who they should? Yeah, just put send those Pony Express, uh, and uh, we'll get right back to you. Three we rounds, as usual, this week for the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, Ultimate Fight Night 36 kicks off at 10.30 Eastern Time next or this Saturday night, which makes it around like 1.30 a.m. In, in, uh, in Brazil, local time. They don't even care, man. It's Brazil. Which means that Lyoto Machida and Gegard Mousasi will walk to the cage around, I guess, about 3 a.m.? Hey, so, just in time for Samba time. <laughs> maybe the best strategy is to be really, really jet-lagged. Yeah, I don't know. There you go. And in round number two, in the co-main event, it's Frankie Cars from up the block against Ronnie the Alligator. Forget best, about it. Best wheel man in the world, Frankie Cars. And in round three, I, 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 Jessica I deleted her Twitter account in the wake of a dispute with an MMA bloggy blog this past week about what exactly she tested positive for at UFC 166. Maybe we can just ask her about it when she fights in like two weeks. You know, when you delete your Twitter account, you're only hurting yourself. It's, it's really not a positive step, no. I don't think. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But right now, like we always do about this time... Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Andy Volkart. He writes, Juliana Pena's knee injury and the conflicting stories regarding how it happened. What's really going on? Is this, this from Brandon Vera? 
Brandon Vera sent this? No, this is from Andy Volkard. I think he might be maybe Brandon Vera's co-host okay. on What's Really Going On with Brandon Vera and Andy Volkard. I've been meaning to catch that. I just I can't quite get the DVR to get it, I guess. That's one of those official – I think that's an official Fox Sports podcast. Oh, okay. What's yeah. Really Going On. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Uh, I, did we did we not talk about this last week? Did this happen in the void between co-main event podcasts? The Juliana ha- Pena uh, uh, knee injury I, kerfuffle? I can't remember what we've talked about and what we haven't. But, you know, uh, Danny Downs and I actually talked about this a little bit in our trading shots thing. Because Speaking of stuff people can't remember. Because, <laughs> for one thing, it seemed to me like uh, maybe some stuff that her training partners were not going to appreciate the way this had all played out. Because on one hand, you know, you got Dana White, who kind of came out first. He tweeted out about how she had been attacked at her gym, uh, then told the story to reporters about how she had called him right after it happened and said that, you know, she'd, she'd been injured uh, by, you know, kind of a either horseplay or maybe malicious attack by, by a teammate, depending on exactly how you wanted to, to interpret it. And then all the people from Sick Jitsu out there in Spokane. Uh, Spokompton, that's as right. we call it regionally. Um they all jumped up to say, no, that's not at all what happened. It was just kind of run-of-the-mill training session, and she got hurt. Just one of those things. She still, to my knowledge, hasn't said anything like, hey, guys, don't blame my team. Everybody's cool. Still hasn't said anything. She tweeted out something after the surgery, say surgery was a success. Seems weird to me that it's still kind of hanging out there. Well, yeah, and I've been to Spokane. We live, what, about three hours away that's right. from Spokane, and I can say... If you go there and the only thing that happens to you is you suffer a horrible, debilitating knee injury, you got off easy. Yeah. Because it can get a lot worse than that. That's a nice Sunday afternoon in Spokane. Out there in the Onion Patch in eastern Washington. Uh, yeah, this seems like a very strange story. You had Michael Chiesa come out, uh, I believe, and, and say some stuff about how uh, she was just uh, working with her normal training partner and they, she got injured. Stuff happens. And then her coach, her coach put out a lengthy statement. Uh, uh, pretty much saying the same thing. Uh, do we know? I guess Dana White said that he originally, like, the information that he got about her being assaulted came from her, right? right. Like, he talked to a distraught Juliana Pena while she was either at the hospital or on her way to the hospital, something like that. And that might be part of it. I mean, you know, you, uh, at least from, from what people tell me who watched the, the, the ultimate fighter that she was on religiously, uh, they portrayed her at least as being, uh, Maybe a bit of a exaggerator or overreactor at times, uh, you know, highly emotionally charged. Uh, so maybe you could see how you'd be kind of distraught right afterwards. And maybe you're calling up, you're trying to explain to the boss why you're, you're not going to be able to fight and you, you want to paint it in as good a light as possible for yourself. Uh, and then maybe, you know, Dana White's known as a bit of an exaggerator himself. So maybe, what? you know, in this game of telephone, the, the truth gets more and more distorted. I could understand that. What I don't understand is I would think that you'd really want to, like, once your team is taking all this shit, and I can't remember who it was, if it was Michael Chiesa or somebody who said that, and this thing is tearing apart our team, I would think now after, you know, you cool down would be the time to jump up and defend your team and be like, hey, guys, this, this it was just an unfortunate accident that happened. No big deal. Don't blow it out of proportion. The fact that she hasn't done that, and at least I haven't seen her do that, and I've looked at her Facebook and everything, or Twitter where she updated about the surgery being a success. That seems to me odd. That does seem odd. Yeah, that that seems very weird. Maybe we'll get some clarification from her down the road. So the answer to what's really going on is we don't We have no idea. But we'll still Thanks just... for the question. Second question comes to us this week from Charlie C. 
He writes in, so let's talk about fighter pay. Yes. In one of the most hilarious and implausible excuses of all time, Bubba McDaniel claimed that he accidentally picked up his phone, opened the Twitter app, and posted his 2013 UFC earnings, parenthetically $33,200, conveniently in under 140 characters, all completely by accident, and actually meant to send it to his accountant. Regardless, it seems to me like earning $33,200 with one win and one loss in the modern-day UFC is surprisingly low. Uh, I also think it's pretty a pretty big uh, indictment against the UFC when, after taxes, one of their fighters is hovering around the poverty line. Yikes. Joe Lauzon recently made some comments criticizing fighter pay, as did Rich Franklin. What do you guys think about the issue of fighter pay and what, as if we haven't talked about this, and what, if anything, do you think the UFC will do about it if it seems like it's starting to gain some traction among the more casual fans as well? I missed this with Bubba McDaniel. Did you see this? Yeah. I I don't know what I was doing. I was head in the clouds, off somewhere just living the life of Riley. Well, you know, I I think I saw it uh, when people were talking about it on the UG, which, by the way, we we owe a shout-out to to our fans on the UG who uh, spoke up for us in a a discussion on the MMA's Best podcasts and a lot of uh, hardcore CME supporters out there, so we thank you. Yeah. Uh, you will, to go. You'll receive nothing tangible for your support, but know that just that our sincere thanks, which is worth more you. than any real tangible price. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is. I, I like how we're highlighting how implausible uh, his excuse for it was, because it seemed like somebody told him that that was a bad idea to post about his his meager earnings as a as an Ultimate Fighter, and I think he took it down and then offered up this explanation, which. No, man. Ain't nobody buying that. Like Maybe he was trying to send that information to his accountant via direct message, though. Did you ever think about that? That's how it That's works. how most accountants do it. If yeah. you go down to H&R Block and they're going to save you, get your billion back, save you some money, they, they say, you know what? Just send us your financials via direct message. <laughs> yeah. No, that's how I communicate with our accountant is a direct message on Twitter. Uh, but, you know... It is. I also saw Joe Lozon's comments. I don't know if you saw these, Chad, but he was pointing out, and I think that stuff that a lot of people don't think about is just that you see this payout, and then you don't necessarily think about all the things that that dude has to do with that money before he gets to start spending it. Right. Uh, the least, not the least of which is actually pay taxes, as you and I both know. Right. As uh, I am currently still paid as an independent contractor. Uh, you spent the years that you were at MMA fighting paid as a as a uh, an independent contractor. Uh, Got to form an S corp, dude. Uh, yeah, you're. Uh, Funnel your money through that. You, they take it out of you in taxes. They man. do. They 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 double dip on you, which is goes goes the same for fighters. Uh, as it does for us. So we know that they pay a hefty tax rate. So I don't think Charlie C. is exaggerating very much when he says that after Bubba McDaniels pays taxes, he, he will be hovering around the poverty line. Well, it also, like like Joe Lozon was pointing out, like, hey, the UFC will pay for you and, you know, a corner man to, to fly out there and give you, like, one hotel room. And if you want other people there with you, and pretty much everybody does, uh, then... You know, you got to find a way to make that stuff happen on your own. You know, if you're doing strength and conditioning coaches, like it's to the point where in order to compete in the UFC and, and stay at that level, you need to be investing in it like you're making a lot more than you probably are. Uh, and so you have a lot of people who are like kind of diminishing their own earnings just by trying to stay there to keep earning these 
not too hefty paychecks in the first place. Now, the question, the part that I don't know about is where it seems like it's starting to gain some traction amongst the more casual fans. I don't know that it is. I think this is an issue that only the hardcore fans even hear about. Because if you just start, you know, you watch the UFC when it's on at Buffalo Wild Wings, or, you know, when you hear that, that Brock Lesnar might come back or something, you know, I don't think you even stick with it long enough to find out, hey, what did those dudes I watched fight five days ago make for that? Because they don't talk about it on the UFC broadcast. Right, yeah. And maybe I am uh, operating from a position of cynicism, but when I found oh, no. out that Bubba McDaniels had made thirty-three grand for one win and one loss during his first year in the UFC, probably where he's coming off one of those uh, Ultimate Fighter contracts, uh, I thought, hey, man, that's more than I thought that he would probably make, which is a sad commentary in and of itself, and all of which uh, I think just underscores the fact that most all of these guys are are going out there and competing in this incredibly grueling uh, and difficult sport for not very much money. Uh, and Bubba McDaniel certainly included in that group. Uh, but, you know, when guys like, like Joe Lozon and, and Rich Franklin are coming out saying stuff about it, I mean, I think you are getting to the point where uh, more more people are going to think it's going to be a problem. I don't know that that necessarily imp- uh, you know, applies to casual fans because I think you're right. I don't think that they either care and or notice how much these guys are getting paid. And uh, maybe a lot of them, when upon finding out that these guys aren't that well paid, would, would think that was good because I don't know if you pay attention to the uh, general storylines and uh, cultural doctrine of mainstream sports, but most people are super offended by how much athletes get paid, uh, you know, especially in the case of like baseball players whose contracts are enormous. Right. Well, that's uh, one thing that you never, yeah. Yeah, you never hear anybody talking about these spoiled millionaires in the UFC. Put the spoiled millionaires. Oh, in no, cage nobody fighting. except the guy who owns it. Who yeah, right. Remind you at every turn how rich all these guys are. Right. Well, you know, I think though that because, uh, like you said, that that's not like a a thirty three thousand two hundred dollars for for two fights, winning one, losing one in the UFC in your first year in the UFC, coming off the Ultimate Fighter. You know, knowing what we know about how that stuff works, you could say like, hey, man, that's. That's not so bad, you know, it could be a lot worse. I don't know, I just think that that says more to, like, the lowered expectations that we have based on, like, that we're just used to it. Oh, completely, yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah, well, and, you know, also I think when in terms of, like, the fighters have to realize, like, they want to talk about it when it's convenient for them. And then when it seems like they're going to get in trouble, they want to delete their tweet and talk about how it was some shit meant for their accountant. Like they just send us that via direct message, man. <laughs> Don't worry about any of your W-2s yeah, or whatever, just, man. Just, just 140 the, characters. Just yeah, give us the total. Give us the cold, hard numbers. And, uh, but I, like Vinny Magalhaes made a, a point recently about how he thought, like, oh, the MMA media screwed me in contract negotiations because they would just report these reported salary figures and wouldn't. You know, that, that was less than what I really made. So then when I went to go negotiate with other organizations, they said, hey, look, we saw what you made. We'll make you an offer that we think is fair. Um, and he's saying, hey, I, I actually made more than that. Fuck, the media screwed me by reporting these lower numbers. And it's like, man, you can't have it both ways. If you want us to know what you made, show us your paychecks. Do, do, do the Bubba McDaniels. Just send it to us in, in direct message if you like. Uh, but if you want us to know so that we can actually have like a more informed conversation, then we got to get the information. And we can't necessarily – UFC is a private company. Not everywhere they go even requires the like bullshit reported payout numbers uh, that they then pass off to the media. So if you want us to know, help us find out and then we can actually have a conversation about it. But they don't want to do that because they're, they fear the wrath of the UFC in those conversations. Right. And I like Vinny Magalesh. He seems like a funny and smart guy who does Vinny Mags. Good, good work on 
on the social media. But in this instance, I would point out that's not the media that screwed you, dude. Right. That's the guys that insist on keeping your actual salary a secret that screwed you in that particular instance. Uh, all right. Next question this week comes to us from Brady Carlson. Uh, he writes, so Tiaga Silva done fucked up again. I hate seeing trained killers be, you know, real killers. Do you guys think that this sort of stuff negatively affects the sport of MMA? Well, it ain't helping. Yeah, no, it's not positive. That's We can say that much for In sure. In fairness, he didn't kill anybody. No, he didn't. So, yeah. So, I, hey, Brightside. I, I assume everyone knows what this is, but uh, Tiago Silva got himself arrested uh, for uh, allegedly threatening his ex-wife with, with death and uh, allegedly putting a, a loaded or unloaded gun in her mouth and saying he was going to kill her and then also allegedly showing up at the... Uh, jiu-jitsu or or mma school where her current boyfriend trains uh with the gun and saying he was going to kill everyone or something like that and then having an arm standoff with the police that's the cliff notes version right there <laughs> yeah. uh which yeah you know that that obviously doesn't uh does doesn't help anything in the old pr department but i also like i kind of hate the idea that we freak out about this stuff whenever it happens like it's going to be a black mark on the entire sport uh you know we we've seen erratic and uh and illegal criminal behavior from say your you know nfl football players in the past and a lot of that stuff gets covered you know thoroughly by the media and at the same time nobody comes out to condemn the evil sport of football for for turning or you know turning young men into into violent people or or even catering to young men and to me the the same thing that sort of applies to mixed martial arts fighting if, if for anyone that has half a brain that can realize that you have here in this sport a gathering of individuals and anytime you have a bunch of people all doing the same activity some of them are going to be assholes yeah well you know and that is something that people have will occasionally trot out against mma but like you said you can do the same thing with football you can do it with boxing you can do it with a lot of sports that uh, especially i think you know you got to be kind of half crazy to want to get in there in a cage and fight some people. You, you know, that's that's not your normal vocation. So I don't know if we should be terribly surprised that every once in a while uh, someone goes full crazy, uh, especially if they are under the influence of a substance, as Pablo Pavlovich said that he, he thought Iago Silva was at the time. I don't know, man. I mean, I, I don't worry necessarily that, like, it's going to affect MMA's image. Although, you know, it's the kind of thing where, like, Huffington Post is going to grab me. Like, cage fighter threatens wife with gun. Like, that, you know, they love a headline like that. Um, At least this guy actually was a, a cage yeah, fighter, though. Like, like some the, of the other ones. Where, where it gets to be a problem is where, you know, some guy had one... Uh, amateur MMA fight and then he goes off and does something terrible and he's reported in the news as being a cage fighter right. whereas like if I go down and play some pickup basketball at the Elks Lodge <laughs> here in Missoula on my lunch break and then go out and rob a casino later no one reports me as basketball player. <laughs> That's right. You know? Well, yeah, but I guess my the way I make myself feel better about when that kind of stuff happens and gets reported that way is the people who are going to form an opinion of the sport based on that kind of stuff we probably weren't going to get them on our side anyway. Yeah, that's they probably, probably true. already had kind of a negative view of MMA, so it's not like you know they were all set to order that the pay per view uh, next weekend <laughs> and they saw that headline and then decided, no, I can't support this. Yeah. All right, a follow up question from Matt McKinney. Uh, 
if it was John Jones or Cain Velasquez instead of Tiago Silva, would they also, quote, never fight in the UFC again, end quote, obviously referring to uh, Dana White, who came out really quickly after Tiago Silva's arrest to say, really quickly. to say that he would never fight in the UFC again. And this sort of brings up the, an idea that, that is, uh, we talk about a lot as sort of an umbrella idea with the UFC, and that's that from near as we can tell outside the company, uh, the UFC seems to operate without a lot of firm policy on matters such as this. Clearly, the you know fighter contracts that they make uh, athletes sign to work for them are full of rules and regulations. But the actual uh, machinations of the UFC in terms of uh, its human resources policy don't seem to be set. It just seems to kind of vacillate on the whim of whoever happens to be in charge that day. Uh, and you have, you know, you have uh, instances like this where Tiago Silva gets arrested and accused of this obviously a heinous crime and he's immediately fired. And you juxtapose that with a situation like what happened to Jeremy Stevens in right. uh, Minneapolis a year or two ago where or Rampage Jackson. he was arrested. Jeremy Stevens was arrested on fight day and locked up uh, and accused of this assault. And um, the UFC pretty much went to the mattresses to try to get him out of jail in time for him to fight that evening against Eve Edwards. Of course, that effort ultimately proved proved uh, uh, not a success, but uh, at the same time, you can see the difference in uh, in how the company handles those two, I guess you would say, personnel decisions. Yeah, and I guess it seemed like uh, Dana White was kind of staking out the position on that one, like, hey, this is a good kid and he's innocent here, and I'm, I'm full confidence that this is just, you know, people trying to trying to get at his money by these, these trumped up charges, and then it seems like with the Tiago Silva one, uh, UFC just kind of went judge, jury, and executioner as soon as they heard about it and was like, yeah, he did that. He's out. Uh, yeah, and I'm not saying that's always a bad thing either, because I, th- I think it leaves a lot of room for uh, for common sense, maybe at times, uh, to to intercede where, you know, the UFC can operate on, on the information that it's been able to gather, hopefully, which is uh, accurate. But what if uh, we later find out that Tiago Silva hadn't slept and had been uh, subsisting only on a diet of energy drinks? Well, then it would be fine. Then it would be fine. And... and uh, Years later, it would, it would only become a problem years later when he went to work for Bellator. Right. Then again, once again, it would be a, a terrible mishap. <laughs> right. Glad we cleared all that up. Yeah. It's been a very productive discussion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. Uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns that you want to get to the podcast, uh, in future weeks, you can email us by going to the website, comainevent.com and click, clicking the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, this weekend in the main event of uh, Ultimate Fight Night 36, live from Brazil, the young vagabond, uh, sweet and sassy, 
Gegard Mousasi takes on the Dragon, the former UFC light heavyweight champion, Lyoto Machida, uh, in a middleweight contest. We've been led to believe that uh, this is one of those UFC fights where if the right guy wins, he could uh, get himself into a title fight. And if the other guy wins, ah, we'll just kind of take it from there. Rematch with Alir Latifi. That's right. Uh, my, my guess, my opening question, though, has more to do with the type of fight that we're liable to see here. Uh, when you get a style like the one that Leota Machida brings to the cage matched up against Musasi, a guy who we know is not above going out there and, uh, and kind of, uh, limping his way to a decision victory. Uh, how high are your hopes that this one is going to be one for the ages? Not high, not high at all. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, I think that, uh, it could be a long night for some people uh, in Brazil at like four in the morning, uh, hoping to see somebody get kicked in the head. Yeah, you start this thing at four, it might not get over till six. And I'm just talking about this fight, right? <laughs> we could be going the, the distance and then some. Well, and you know, I think like Leona Machida made a comment recently about how he you know, was at least somewhat affected by criticisms of his style. Uh, and that, you know, he wants to give people a little bit more of a show and gives people the, the knockouts and stuff. But I still, you know, he wants to do it under his terms. And he's one of those guys that can really frustrate you into doing something dumb if you're the kind of guy who who can pl- who get, plays into that. And I, I don't think the young vagabond is one of those dudes. Like you said, I think that he would be pretty content to try and keep it close, keep it close, win some rounds, uh, and then see how things look uh, once you get to the judges. I mean, I think it, if it plays out that way, I, I, something tells me he's definitely prepared for that inevitability. Well, yeah, and if... if uh... Leota Machida suddenly started listening to the criticism and decided to remake himself as a as a knockout artist. That makes you kind of feel bad for Mark Munoz because he's the one who ran into the wrong end of that uh, that critical sandwich, that criticism sandwich right there. Uh, but I think you're right. This is a fight that uh, um, I you know I don't think Musasi is going to be a guy who's going to make a lot of mistakes out there or a guy that. Uh, that gets into a situation where he's going to give Machida a ton of openings. I think that uh, he has kind of reinforced that idea with his own pre-fight talk about how this is just another fight for him and how he thinks if he goes out there and and uh, and and stays true to his game plan that it's it's a winnable fight for him. Uh, for Lyoto Machida, though, certainly it's an opportunity to kind of remake himself pretty much whole cloth as a 185 pound contender. Um, you know, he would, this would only be his second win in the UFC middleweight division. So to vault into a title shot where he could potentially face the winner of the Chris Weidman Vitor Belfort fight that's coming up later this year would be pretty remarkable for him. It would put him a world away from, uh, you know, that terrible stretch that he never really recovered from in, uh, in 2010, 2011, where, uh, I guess at the tail end of 2009, he beat, uh, Shogun Hua, by unanimous decision that a lot of people think uh, he didn't win and then came back for the rematch and got knocked out and ended up losing the UFC uh, light heavyweight title and then ended up going uh, one and three during 2010 and 2011. And, you know, he put it back together a little bit in 2012, 2013, went, went three and one, uh, including his, his most recent victory over Mark Munoz, but I like, lost one to Phil Davis that a lot of people thought he should have won. Right. So yeah, he maybe all evens out. He could have been four and oh, and, uh, and you know, while he, I think, rebuilt himself into a uh, in a res- into a respectable UFC fighter as a light heavyweight, his his sort of like uh, you know aura of invincibility that he had with 16 wins in a row before he finally ended up losing to Shogun, uh, that wasn't going to come back. 
So for him as a middleweight now to think that he could beat uh, Mark Munoz and and Musasi and get himself into uh, into another title opportunity against the Weidman Belfort winner, uh, pretty incredible turnaround, I'd have to say for for uh, Machida. And maybe his last best chance though to become a UFC champion again. He's going to be 36 uh, in May, I believe. Uh, you know, you got to think that here is a. A window of opportunity, especially at the middleweight division right now, where after Anderson Silva fell, the, 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 the ensuing shakeup allows a lot of guys to jump right up, do something impressive, uh, be noticed, and who knows what could come out of it. I mean, you could, you could end up in a title shot in a real hurry. Uh, but just the same way, I mean, that, that goes for a lot of guys in that division right now. I mean, you got guys like Tim Kennedy and, and, and guys like Bisping who are also trying to take advantage of, uh, the chaos at the top to, to make their case. So, I mean, this is one of those situations where it would not be hard at all to imagine Leota Machida going out there, uh, winning a, a Machida decision. You know, maybe he wins a, a split decision, uh, in Brazil over the young vagabond and then to have Dana White say, uh, you know what? We're not terribly excited about seeing him fight for a title just yet. We're going to wait and see on that. I mean, that you could easily imagine that happening. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that, you know, maybe you're lucky then that uh, the UFC has the, the middleweight co-main event also on this card where Ronnie the Alligator and Frankie Cars are going to do battle. Uh, and certainly you would think if Jacare comes out of that doing something uh, impressive that he could potentially leapfrog Machida in the in the event of a boring decision win by Machida. Uh, but we'll talk more about that in in the second round. Uh, all right. Well, let's say Machida wins this and let's say he he does it uh, in Machida esque fashion. I guess it wouldn't be Machida esque since he is Machida, but let's, in, <laughs> let's say he does it in typical Machida fashion, uh, but does do enough to salt away a middleweight title fight. Is he a guy that could be trouble for either Chris Weidman or Vitor Belfort, or is he is he a guy that we wouldn't expect to come away with the title in a fight like that? Because I'm not sure I could pick Machida against either of those guys. I guess I'd like his chances a little more against Belfort, uh, because I think that... Uh, if somebody can be induced to charge in uh, heedless of the consequences in the first round, it might be a guy like Vitor Belfort. Uh, I don't know if, if uh, a matchup against Weidman would, would favor Machida's skills as much. I also, though, I, I would be really curious just to be able, to, and this fight's going to tell us a lot, is to see like if, if Machida has gotten that message that, like, hey, Here's how you are viewed. Here's how this might be an obstacle to you getting a title shot and making that that big Anderson Silva money that he supposedly asked for once upon a time. Uh, like, here's, you know, you have to not only win, but you have to win in a certain fashion. And, you know, here's your chance and go. Because I think that if that's the case, like if he does realize that and has the ability to kind of turn it on a little more or, or at least you know crank up the volume on it, this fight is... Probably a great opportunity to do that. I mean, Gerard Musasi, uh, not a bad fighter by any means, but he's not spectacular. He has looked vulnerable at times. Seems like a guy that you could kind of put it on and uh, maybe he wouldn't have an answer for it. I mean, it seems like this is as good a chance as you're ever going to get if you're Leo Machida. Yeah, it could well be. Um, get in there against the dream catcher. Go ahead and invoke all of the nicknames that we can think of <laughs> for Gegard Musasi, the Armenian assassin. 
Uh, which is actually that's listed as one of his nicknames. What? I don't really? know if you've seen that. Yeah, it's on his Wikipedia page, the Dreamcatcher. Oh, well, and, hey, uh, if it's on Wikipedia, you know, well, do you think someone that's not uh, funny enough for anyone to have edited it in there? Yeah, that's right? probably true. It's not like Puncher King or whatever. <laughs> we have to take him at his word that that's that that's his nickname. Is uh, is Musasi even a guy at this point that we can consider an enigma wrapped in a riddle? Because he's a guy who was like, uh, you know, much like Machida was, I think, years years earlier, uh, kind of like a message board favorite before we fully knew that much about him. He was a guy that you would read about on your uh, digital bulletin board service. Uh, and people would be talking about how awesome he was and how he was going to come in and, and take the world by storm. And hey, man, to this day, the guy's 34, three and two, which ain't too shabby, uh, for an MMA fighter. But at the same time, by the time we finally got him over in Strike Force, uh, on and off a little bit, I guess he was probably part of the old talent share with Dream. Uh, you know, we got him over in Strike Force and he kind of looked a little bit underwhelming at times. And then for him to come over last year and make his, uh, his UFC debut and go to a decision with the bricklayer, Alir Latifi, uh, <laughs> not his actual nickname, by the way, although, uh, a good one. That's one same. I feel like, you know, if he had a Wikipedia page, you could add that to that and everybody would just accept it. Yes. Yeah, I agree. But no, you so, you know, do we have the book on uh, Gegard Musasi at this point? Or is he a guy who merely at 28 years old could still uh, totally surprise us and, and, and turn out to be super awesome? You know, I think he, he could surprise us here and there. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say he could be super awesome. I think that, like, physically, he seems like a guy who, who has a lot to work with there. Uh I just wonder if the mental game is where it needs to be. I'll never forget after that fight he had with Keith Jardine at the, the strike force uh, in San Diego, the one where uh, Nick Diaz and Paul Daly had one of the awesomest one round fights I've ever seen. And I don't know if you remember that one, but you know, he started out pretty good and then, you know, Jardine did not go away as easily as he seemed to think he would. Uh, Musasi, I think, was deducted a point and ended up uh, with a draw in that one. And I remember him sitting at the, the post-fight press conference afterwards, and I guess I was expecting him to be a little outraged uh, with that decision because it seemed like uh, a fight that a lot of people thought he was going to win there. And he, even his coach, kept like in his ear, like after he kind of sat there after the press conference was over and a couple of us came up to interview him. And, you know, his reaction to the whole thing was just kind of like, oh, man, I guess I blew it. Fuck. God damn it. Way to, way to go, sweet and sassy. And his coach was kind of in his ear like, no, man, you got screwed. No, this is bullshit. You did great. You did a great job. And he's just like, no, no, I didn't. I didn't do a great job. <laughs> oh, well, that makes me feel kind of bad. It does make you feel kind of bad. But also, though, I mean, it feels like how like I would react in that situation, you know, to kind of like get upset with myself and get bummed out. Uh, refuse to be encouraged. Um, and I don't know if that's the mentality that takes you from that to, to that next level to be a, uh, you know, UFC champion. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. He, and like, he's a guy who at this point, it, it's sort of, uh, the, the running joke that he's, he's not a, a very fiery dude and doesn't display a ton of emotion. Although, you know, in his, in his defense, let's say he's a guy who's also coming down from light heavyweight, right? Uh, you know, his fight against the bricklayer, that was a, that was 205, was it not? And then his last couple strike force appearances against Mike Kyle and Ovin St. Pru, uh, were also 205 pound, uh, affairs. So, you know, if Lyoto Machida can go down to 185 and suddenly start knocking fools out and, start getting bothered by the criticism and become a, a a knockout artist. Maybe we can see the same thing from 
from the Dreamcatcher. So you're saying we just need to criticize him more? Yeah, just he seems like a guy who responds really well to criticism. <laughs> now that I know that that he has, he's getting down on himself. For get him on the phone. Get him on the phone right now. I got some stuff. I'll fire <laughs> him up. Give him some tough love. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it was kind of like a scared straight, but in you know scared violent kind of. <laughs> Maybe you can be the wrestling dad that Leo or that Gegard Musasi never had. <laughs> you know what? I feel like the. That's a, a role in his entourage that I could excel in. Maybe the only role I could excel in. <laughs> All right, well, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week? Well, Chad, uh, you know, you hate to go back to the well so often on Are You Fucking Kidding Me? But, man, I don't know if you saw Vitor Belfort's recent remarks uh, about how he is tested so often uh, because of his testosterone exemption, the, the you know the the UFC is just testing the shit out of him as we as we hear. Uh, I hear he was also taken for a uh, kind of surprise drug test while he was in Nevada for the the MMA awards. Uh, but in a recent interview, I believe it was uh, with Bloody Elbow, uh, he is talking about, or, or actually maybe they just uh, transcribed it from like a TV appearance. I'm not sure about that, but uh, he made the case that. You know what? Other guys aren't tested as intensely as he is. He wants to see increased drug testing for them. So he will ask the UFC to, to increase that drug testing to, so that everybody's under the kind of scrutiny that he is. Are you fucking kidding me, Vitor Belfort? Because you have a license to use steroids, it means other people need to be tested more? Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? That's, you know, that's just weird. That is just weird. That's just weird. It's like, it's like the Karl Rove attack your opponent at his strengths strategy. It would be genius if I thought that he was doing that intentionally. Ah, uh, boy. You know, speaking of going back to the well, you kind of made me oh, feel uh -oh. like less than the best about this now because I, I was going to do my Are You Fucking Kidding Me About War Machine. Uh, I'll do it. Coming out on his Twitter this past week in a move that must be uh, designed just to troll us and or merely advertise his new clothing line, Alpha Male Shit, uh, which you can get, I believe, at alphamaleshit.com. Uh, he comes out on his Twitter post Tiago, Tiago Silva arrest and essentially comes out pro Tiago Silva. He tweets, my thoughts on Tiago Silva, his dumb ass should have never left Brazil, no freedom here to do, to be a man, in all caps, M-A-N, and do alpha male shit. So. Alpha male shit like what? Alpha male shit Did like. Did do something I, else that I don't know about? I guess threatening your ex-wife with a loaded gun and then threatening to also shoot her new boyfriend. Alpha male shit. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. Kind of seems like the opposite of alpha male shit. But I mean, I guess I wouldn't know. So, you know. <laughs> what are we even talking yeah. about? Anyway, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, in other middleweight action on UFC Fight Night 36, the co-main event, after our own heart, Jacare Souza takes on the best wheel man in the North America, I guess, Frankie Cars, Francis Carmont. Now, 
here's one where like if you didn't know anything about MMA, you hadn't followed it, but you just looked at it on paper, you'd look at it and think like, man, this is going to be an awesome fight and probably one-sided because this Frankie Carr's character is coming in with like an 11-fight winning streak. The dude has just stacked up the W's. Not to mention looks pretty good getting off the bus. Look, looks pretty good getting off the bus. Looks like he is chiseled from fucking stone going up against, uh, you know, this guy who, who's got a respectable record. Uh, but uh, it's only when you've actually had to sit through the fights that I feel like uh, among a lot of MMA fans, like there's this like just boiling anger toward Francis Carmel. Yes. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird, but I totally understand it at the same time. Yeah. Well, as an aside, before we begin, let's not forget to mention that Francis Carmont's real nickname is Limitless. Really? That's his nickname? Yeah. Nicknamed himself after a bad Bradley Cooper movie. Isn't that what Limitless was? I don't I don't know. Uh, I don't know either. But come on. Do you, you feel like that's a, a self-applied nickname? You don't feel like somebody in the gym well, is like, you know what you are, man. You are. You don't even have any limits. I wish I could come up with like one term to describe it. Well, it's very much in keeping with what we know of TriStar's other nicknames, right? Like George Rush St. Pierre, which is a thing that no one calls GSP. <laughs> uh, so you maybe it, it you know, Rory Aries McDonald. Yeah, Rush and Limitless and Aries sound like they could be a six-man tag uh, back in the <laughs> in the eighties, working some squash matches down in Texas for Fritz von Erich and. You know, losing to the Freebirds every weekend at at uh, whatever the the Sportatorium. I would they much did rather see that than watch Francis Carmont. <laughs> no, fight. okay, yes. Thank you for bringing me back to the point. Here's the thing: like Francis Carmont is a weird figure in mixed martial arts at this point because the guys won 11 fights in a row, including six in the UFC, uh, and clearly, like we said, looks he looks the part, looks good getting off the bus, uh, and yet everyone. I'm sure including UFC matchmakers and the people who are responsible for selling pay-per-view telecasts uh, for the UFC uh, really, really hope that he loses to Jacare Souza this weekend. And that is because of his boring wrestling-based style, which I think not only is too bad for Frankie Cars, but also says some like somewhat weird things about the sport that we all like a lot. You know, the thing that bothers me about him is not just the, the wrestling-based style, because you could you could level that criticism as a lot of dudes. It's like the nullification style that he brings, where he manages to win fights by doing so little and by like making it so that the other guy can do so little. I mean, at least in his most recent one against Costa Filippu, uh, he... He tried to look and, to a lesser extent, sound like he was doing something in there when he would take him down and then throw these strikes that really wouldn't land on anything important, but he would do the Monica Sellis grunt every time he did it. So, like, if you just heard audio of the fight, you would assume somebody was getting murdered. Uh, I mean, the, some of the other fights that he's been in, though, like uh, like that, that win over Tom Lawler... Uh, even the win over Lorenz Larkin, where you're just kind of like, man, I, I don't even know. Like offensively, it's hard to even say what you're doing in there. I think that that's more to do, to, to do with it than his wrestling-based style. If he was actually like dominating people with wrestling, I think you know he'd at least get that begrudging respect that those dudes do. And he doesn't really do that. Yeah, and maybe if we can say anything in, in his defense as to his style, it certainly looks like he figured things out. Uh, you know, round about the spring of 2008, because prior to that, he was uh, 11 and seven 
Uh, so with a respectable record, but not necessarily an outstanding one. And then after that, after I guess his, uh, soul shattering armbar loss to Baga Agaev nailed it. Fight, fight force Russia versus the world over in Moscow. He represented the world. He, he somehow turns it around and then from there goes 11 and 0. So, uh, you know, we can talk about how nobody wants to watch it, but it seems effective, uh, whatever he's doing in there. But, but I think you're right though about that. You look at this one and you would feel like everybody at the UFC is like, well, Come on, Jacare. Right. Like here's the opportunity right. for cuz Jacare has looked awesome lately. He's looked amazing. And that and it wouldn't be just that Francis Carmont like beats another middleweight contender. He would beat a guy in Jacare that I think a lot of people have really high hopes for and a guy who uh has like you said looked better and better and better every time we've seen him and seems like he's the kind of like freaky next generation athlete that can just sort of uh, accelerate his progress in the sport by leaps and bounds every time he he makes a public appearance and has a fight. So for if if Francis Carmont manages to beat Jacare, who, while having all the potential in the world, is still no spring chicken, uh, that would be kind of a bummer for people who want to see uh, Jacare go forth and uh, and be somebody in the in the middleweight division. So um, stakes is high, you yeah. could say, a little well, bit in this one. And this is the one that, like, in a weird way, I think I, I'm most looking forward to on this one. Even though I realize it could be awful, it could be really awful to watch. But hey, I mean, at least if it is, it's only you know three rounds instead of having to sit right. through the full right. five at four a.m. in Brazil. Uh, but this one, I think, like. It, you look at what Jacare has done. I mean, you talk about turning a corner. We knew he was a good jujitsu guy. Now lately, he's been putting the, putting the hurt on people with the hands, uh, put, putting those those bungalows on people. That makes you think, like, all right, if he's developed that aspect of his game, like he could be a legit title contender. I would have no problem seeing, like, if he goes out there and beats a guy like like Frankie Cars, especially if he finishes him, you know, submits him or knocks him out, either one, or even just dominates him in a decision where lots of stuff happens, so it's not, you know, your typical Frankie Cars fight. Then, I, you know, if the UFC wanted to turn around and say, hey, he stopped this guy who was on an 11-fight streak, which, you know, they're never going to mention Carmont's streak. That would be the nicest his, thing in his ever favor. said about Francis Carmont. Right. They'll never use it in his favor, but they would totally use it to hype up a guy like Jacques Ray. Uh, I, you know, if you told me, hey, he leapfrogs uh, Machida even with a, a Machida decision win uh, in the main event, I would have no problem with that. Sure. Uh, or have Jacare- those guys fight. You know, it's, we're still dealing. We still got some time to kill before we finally get to the. Uh, That's true. To the Vitor Belfort Chris Weidman fight. So, yeah. So, but Jacare, you, you, I think most people hope that he can come out with a <laughs> with a good performance here. But I mean, I think you brought up a, an interesting point that. Uh, the the top two fights on this card the the main event and the co-main event uh with you know with the exception of of some some names we've heard of here and there on this card definitely the the two biggest attractions uh on ultimate fight night perhaps 36 the only perhaps the only two attractions if things go south and things go sour on this fight card, those could be some bad fights. Yeah, actually. Well, now, now we're just being pessimists about the whole thing. Uh, but I mean, I don't think it's out of line, though, to look at Machida <laughs> versus Musasi and uh, Francis Carmont against Ronaldo Souza to think, boy, you know, that could... I mean, we can say it the other way. We can say when we have a fight card that we think looks super exciting, I don't see why we can't look at these fights and be like, whew, boy, those could be boring. Yeah, well, now you're just begging for Dana White to go off on you for talking about the fights before they happen, uh, which only he and Joe Rogan get to do. Uh, But, you know, you you look at this fight card in general, 
and uh, you got that that action in the in the main and the co-main, and then it kind of drops off a, a cliff uh, into just like interchangeable Brazilian dude territory. Uh, all the prelims on Fight Pass. How how is that working to get you to to sign up, Chad? Is that well, you know, Hildemar it's killing Frontera. me. It's killing me to miss my dog, Maximo Blanco. Uh, <laughs> he'll be fighting Felipe Ar- Arantes uh, on this on this uh, prelim card. And Blanco, obviously, a guy who uh, had like a, a pretty big uh, hype behind him when he when he came over and signed with Strike Force a couple of years ago, and then promptly, I think, went like one and three or something like that uh, since being in Strike Force and the UFC. Has some trouble obeying the rules. Yeah, even before that, he he had some trouble with the rules. But uh, no, the, the I think the uh, the point that you make is well taken. You've got kind of a no name undercard uh, and a no name uh, uh, main card for the most part. Although certainly guys like Eric Silva and Charles Oliveira are guys that uh, that the UFC hardcore audience is familiar with. But at the same time, yeah, that's it's if you're trying to make me buy Fight Pass, trying to get me to pay for stuff that used to be free probably isn't the best way. But you don't have to pay for it yet. No, this no, is not still the one. free. This, yeah, this still is... want me to give my credit card number though, which is a thing that above and beyond all of my other uh, grievances, which I don't think we need to go into again here this week on the podcast. No, because there will be plenty of time for that in the future. I'm sure uh, there will. Giving giving my uh, credit card number to the to a fight promoter, regardless of who it was, not necessarily number one on my list of stuff I want to do. Well, this one seems like a, especially though a screw job because it seems like wasn't the whole point of Fight Pass right so that we we could have these fights. Uh, in local markets where it would it would be in prime time for them, so that they wouldn't have to stay up till four a.m. to watch this stuff. And yet here we are in Brazil. You got the you know, fight pass quality throughout, uh, you know, the majority of the card. Uh, and yet they're still going to have to stay up to 4 a.m. to to watch Machida right. get down. And I guess you may want to. Re- are we recording this? You may want to record this because. Uh, I'll say I might say something halfway nice about Fight Pass here, Uh-oh. at least to say that it seems like my initial hope is that this is just a card that kind of got caught in between the Fight Pass uh, free trial period and the the actual Fight Pass period where you have to start paying for it, and that you know an event like this might be on Fight Pass in the future. Although I don't know if they're going to put guys like Leota Machida on there since they got to pay him some bucks. I would think I don't know if they're going to be offsetting their their losses too much with that. But I mean, but then hopefully that all of the, hopefully the point is in the future, these, these cards in Brazil won't be at four o'clock in the morning. Well, I mean, I guess I I would say the same thing about a guy like Alexander Gustafson, who's going to kind of lead the charge of the pay era of fight pass. You would think that, you know, that that's a guy who deserves to be on TV and everything. But yeah, I mean, I guess it depends how committed you're going to be to that strategy uh, after the initial it costs money now thing has worn right. off. Well, I mean, that's what remains to be seen that, uh, Alexander Gustafson card. Uh, it, it, it's, you know, you look at it, it strikes you as a drug dealer trick, right? Where they, <laughs> they gave you the first one for free. And then as soon as they want you to start paying for it, suddenly they throw a, a super good card. I mean, basically the UFC standing on the, on the street corner yelling, we got them WMDs, uh, with the Alexander Gustafson card. It remains to be seen if the rest of the fight pass cards, are, are going to be as good as that one. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. I love how your knowledge of the drug trade seems informed entirely by that one episode of Punky Brewster and The Wire. That's about like it. Those two working that, in that, concert that's together. That's about does it. I'm not, I'm not over here like my, my broadcast partner having lost scar-faced weekends every weekend where I'm skiing down a mountain of cocaine. <laughs> my big house on the hill. Never again, man. Never again. 
I think we, we uh, pretty much did this one to death. It sounds like we, we've gone fully off the rails in our, no pun intended, in our uh, uh, UFC Fight Night 36 discussion. Uh, perhaps it's best that we just wrap it up here. Let's move on. Uh, we will be back momentarily with round number three. Then the sordid tale of the Jessica I. Sarah Kaufman uh, bout that was overturned by the Texas State Athletic Commission uh, from UFC 166 uh, months after the fact has taken a yet another strange turn as we sit here to record the co-main event podcast this week. Uh, originally, we had reports that Jessica I. had received a probated suspension from the Texas Athletic Commission that wouldn't affect her uh, upcoming bout at UFC 170 later this month. Uh, later, we got reports from my colleague Jeremy Botter at Bleacher Report uh, that, that Jessica I. had tested positive for a blood thinning medication and that it may have been just a... Uh, a, uh, uh, discretion or a, uh, uh, a paperwork issue with the Texas Commission. Uh, that was followed up by a report from Bloody Elbow that said, uh, citing anonymous sources that she had tested positive for marijuana. Then Jessica I appeared on the MMA hour today, Monday, as we record this to, uh, deny that it was marijuana. Presumably it's still going on. If you're listening That's to this right. on Tuesday, I think the MMA hour is still, right. still going on. Uh, to, uh, to reiterate that it was just a paperwork issue. Uh, but now as we sit here to record this, Fox Sports' Damon Martin has just published a, a report. Uh, and why don't you tell the people about that? Yeah, uh, basically not only, uh, was it, uh, this, a, she tested positive for, uh, cannabinoids. Uh, I'm pretty sure I nailed that one. Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds like a candy I ate as a child. Described, uh, according to David Martin's story, described as a group of terpenophenolic compounds present in cannabis weed, basically. Uh-huh. Uh, your, 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 your good old-fashioned grass, uh, if you're an old man like, like Chad Dundas. Uh, and not only is, is that actually the, the cause, but according to the agreed order that she was notified of uh, back in November and that she signed and returned earlier in January. Uh, she knew about this. She she kind of tried to play it off like, man, she, I don't know what's going on. I can't really say too much right now, but we're appealing it. She already signed and agreed upon to this order, like which includes like exactly how many installments and in what amounts she has to pay the fine. Uh, signed it and presumably, I think by signing it, waived her right to an appeal. Uh, basically agreed to this whole uh, course of action on it um, well in advance of any of us finding out about it. But then once it broke, it seems like she's been kind of trying to play it like she's an aggrieved party here who's just as shocked about this as, as we are, even though now it seems that that's not true. And the, the crazy thing about it is, man, if you had just tested positive for some weed, you could have done the same thing that everybody else does where you say like, oh, hey, I made a mistake. And we are all on we were outraged on your behalf talking about how it's bullshit that even test fighters for weed. But hey, whatever, you know, go get them and good luck and all that other stuff. Uh, you know, nobody was going to get too mad at you for testing positive for weed. It just seems kind of like dumb, but it's not like a, a big deal. But if you spend all this time and effort like lying to people about it and, you know, then, of course, they're going to find out eventually anyway. And that looks terrible for you. 
Right. And this is just happening as we record this. So, uh, you know, I don't want to jump down Jessica eyes throw too, too hard until we find out all of the facts. And, you know, as far as I know, cannabinoids, maybe they're maybe also uses a blood thinning medication, although I doubt it. Uh, <laughs> Dr. So, yeah, Chad Dundas. <laughs> that's a broken arm. Uh, <laughs> I was prepared to uh, come on the podcast for round three today and say that I didn't really care what Jessica I had tested positive for, even if it was blood thinners or marijuana, just because of kind of what you just talked about that. You know, marijuana has reached a, a point culturally in in our nation where it doesn't seem like it's as big a deal as a lot of the the other drugs, particularly the uh, performance enhancing kind that we see mixed martial artists test positive for more often than anyone would like. So to me, did not seem like that big of a deal, regardless of what Jessica I had tested po- positive for, even if it was you know marijuana or a blood thinning medication that she didn't po- uh, properly disclose to the Texas Commission. But you're right. The fact that uh, we are left to assume, as we sit here right now, that she tried to lie about it seems shadier and like less excusable uh, in, in my view. And uh, as we said at the top of the show, uh, she deleted her Twitter account earlier this week uh, uh, in the wake of, of getting some bad press uh, about the marijuana. And I think kind of going back and forth with a reporter about it, although I also missed that, didn't see it. So I don't. I don't want to speak too much to it, but at this point, even if you even if you uh, assume, as I guess we are, that Jessica I is still going to make her uh, her scheduled UFC 170 bout against Alexis Davis uh, weekend after this upcoming one, uh, this this kind of seems like a black eye for her. No pun intended. Well, you know what, and the thing is too, like. It, the way we talked a, a lot at first uh, when this story started coming out about how, what a weird thing it was for the Texas Commission to say, you're suspended, but not actually. Like, you can still fight unless you screw up during the suspension, in which case, then you really are suspended. Like, basically, you're on probation, Like, but we're, we're going to pretend that it's a suspension. Uh, you know, she could still fight. They took the win away from her and they fined her, whatever. Didn't find her a ton of money. Uh, so... It seems like you could have just, you really could have rode this one out. And like it would have been probably the easiest anybody has ever gotten off testing positive for marijuana in MMA, right? Like you, you still got the fight that was basically the result of, uh, that the UFC gave you based on the strength of the win that was then later taken away from you. So you really don't lose that much. I mean, people go back and look at the records and it'll say, you know, no decision or something, but whatever. Like you, you could have just had the easiest slap on the wrist possible for a marijuana suspension if you'd just, just been straight about it from the start. Uh, and now everybody's going to want to know, hey, why is Nomadic Fishing letting her fight? What's the, what's the deal with that? And, you know, if she shows up there, instead of being like a kind of people's hero of uh, fighting and marijuana using, cannabinoids injecting, uh, we don't know. We don't know how she got that in there. I'm just saying that. Uh, instead instead of all that, now she comes off like everybody's just like, well, Jessica I, you lied to us in the stupidest way possible and we found out about it as you should have known that we would. What's up? What's really going on? Yeah, and one of the bummers is obviously that I think she had won something like uh, seven or eight fights in a row there uh, with the the Sarah Kaufman fight, which was her most recent one, and now she goes into to face Alexis Davis at UFC 170 in a fight that uh, that you know probably has some sort of contender 
uh, ramifications in a somewhat shallow uh, women's bantamweight division still in the UFC. Uh, and we, as we sit here now, we assume that uh, she'll probably be allowed to fight uh, at the uh, Mandalay Bay Entertainment venue in, in Las Vegas. Although, I mean, if you're the Nevada State Athletic Commission, which maybe, you know, has its own problems at the moment, some stuff it needs to take care of. But like, uh, does it matter at all to you that Jessica, I tested positive for marijuana in Texas and then, uh, maybe tried to deceive people about it. You know, I don't know if it, if her deception to the media is necessarily admissible here. Uh, I, and then also, I don't know what you're supposed to do. If one commission says, Hey, we caught you doing this thing you shouldn't have been doing, but uh, as long as you obey this order, then we see no reason why you can't go ahead and fight other places. Like it, I, I don't know. I think it puts Nevada in kind of a weird position for them to be like, oh, wait, no, we see a reason. Because usually what they're doing in those situations is honoring some other athletic commission's suspension. Like shouldn't you also honor their sort of kind of probationary non-suspension like, like by the same logic? I suppose so. I suppose so. Um, perhaps the silver lining in all of this is that Sarah Kaufman, who uh, responded sort of with glee at the time when her loss was overturned, although I think that had more to do with her feelings about the uh, the official decision, not necessarily what Jessica I was doing. Uh, uh, she, you know, Sarah Kaufman now, she also has an upcoming fight in the UFC sign. She's going to fight Shayna Baszler uh, at the Tough Nations finale, which... Uh, also seems like a good fight for them. Uh, so, you know, just to put a, just a little positive news in there, too. It's not there you all go. it's not all deception and smoke and mirrors. Cannabinoids and how do you how do you how do you get the cannabinoids in there? That's still what I want to know. <laughs> Is there a patch? Oh uh, yeah. Who who watches Punky Brewster now to find out about their <laughs> their drugs? Uh, so yeah, that was weird. That was not ex- exactly how I expected that round to go, but nonetheless, here we are. Uh, Let's go ahead and do uh, just saying stuff for this week, and then uh, then we'll get out of here. Ben, what's your just saying stuff for uh, Co-Main Event Podcast Episode 90? Well, as long as we're just talking drugs all the goddamn time, uh, I'm just saying Anthony Johnson uh, was on uh, Sirius, Sirius XM's uh, radio show recently uh, and talked about performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, where he said, quote, in every sport, people are using something. I mean, as long as nobody dies, nobody pulls a Chris Benoit. You know what I'm saying? I think everything is going to be fine. Uh, <laughs> if, I, if, if it's something that can absolutely help you, I don't see what the problem is. Later goes on to say, if you abuse it, of course, you're going to get popped for it and do stupid stuff. But if you use it the right way and just do what you're supposed to do, uh, by the way, you're not supposed to do it at all, uh, then it shouldn't be a problem. But with the way the world is right now, hell, you can. Everything is all messed up right now. I don't know, man. I think if you can do it, do it. I don't have nothing against it. You know what I'm saying? As long as you don't kill nobody. I'm just saying, if Anthony Johnson was trying to make us all speculate about whether he's on PEDs, he did a really damn good job right there. Just saying. Just saying. Well, Ben, this week, I'm just saying maybe everyone in the mixed martial arts community, we could all just kind of take a step back, take a breath, and just let CM Punk be a professional wrestler, and maybe we don't need to report his various comings and goings as if that information is somehow pertinent to us here in the mixed martial arts community. Maybe we don't need to ask the UFC president whether or not he's reached out to CM Punk in the wake of his departure from WWE since, you know, why would he? He's not a guy that competes in our sport. Uh, maybe we can just let the green Power Rangers fight callouts sort of fall on deaf ears. 
uh, since, you know, when it comes to a mid-30s professional wrestler kind of being at odds with the World Wrestling Entertainment promotion, uh, I just don't know what that has to do with us, man. I'm just saying. Just saying. We get so bored, though. And those pro wrestlers are so fun. They're such fun characters. I guess so, man. I guess. <sighs> I had- Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. We'll be back next week to uh, tell you what happened at the uh, Ultimate Fight Night 36 in Brazil, just in case you can't stay up late enough to watch it. And we'll also, I guess, preview the uh, UFC 170, which is coming up. Uh, as for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Hey, what if, though, at uh, Fight Night 36, as Machida is getting ready to finish off Sweet Vagabond, Sweet and Sassy, uh, CM Punk runs out, just blitzed out of his mind on cannabinoids. Yeah, he's snorting cannabinoids in the back. <laughs>